and do us a favor and link our donation page at kpfa.org to your Facebook or Twitter account. Help us grow and eliminate a future fund drive. So please, pass it on. And you're listening to KPFA, KPFB, KFCF in Fresno, online at kpfa.org. Cover to cover, open book begins now. Welcome to Cover to Cover Open Book, or as I like to say, Frame to Frame. My name is Raina Cowan, and I'm here with our look at film for the next half hour. Uh, the special pledge drive look at film is really kind of a behind-the-scenes look, because I think that there's a way when we go to see films or we go to film festivals or we go to Pacific Film Archive, there's always this interest in what is happening behind the scenes like how do how do shows get put together what do things mean and so this is sort of like the there's no gossip but it's kind of the secret diaries of pacific film archive and uh, the reason why i'm doing this show is uh that there are different curators who have been uh, at pfa for years one who's been on my show many times before uh talking about different series is steve side and uh uh, for the uh, the detriment of PFA, but perhaps for the betterment of himself, he's reti- he retired at the end of December, and I was really interested in talking to him about film, about his ideas about film, and also in general just his ideas of of being a curator and what it's been like over the past 26 years. Uh, so, Steve, welcome to KPFA. Hi, thanks. Thanks for inviting me. You know, you started off as a video curator focusing on experimental media, and then over time it switched, so it's about 80% film. And I'm just interested, first, uh, you've had very interesting ideas for series off and on, like every once in a while. Like I remember once talking to you about doing a series about um, cars, and you said that you try to contact the car talk guys to get all the songs. <laughs> like that you're always trying to, I guess, make something a multimedia experience. But I'm wondering, like, where does an idea start from, and then how do you develop it? Wow, that's... You know, th- that is the kind of magic. It's it's almost as though uh, the ideas percolate. Sometimes they're notions of personal curiosity that you uh, pursue and then a, a, an appropriate moment arises so you can assemble a series around that. And sometimes culture, current events, um, film releases, you know, spark some kind of an idea. You know, a particular film may become incredibly popular and then you realize well actually that is just a part of a genre that's always been around so let's look at the genre or um, you know an example would be of a current event is I remember when uh, President Bush um, came up with this idea of the axis of evil um, which I just thought was a ridiculous notion so I did a series called excess of evil and it was about a belief in Satan as a kind of living entity um, and, you know, then I just assembled a bunch of uh, films that, in, in essence, kind of helped deflate this notion of the excess of evil. Well, you know, 
once, many years ago, you asked me to do a series um, which was called, in the end, What's the Matter You? Looking at College Life in Film. And uh, I was, you know, I've, I go to thousands of films. I really like films. Uh, people ask me all the time what films they should see. So I didn't realize what a difficult process the whole thing was. I mean, first off, I had to choose films that were available. I had to choose films that somehow uh, were not just idiosyncratically relevant for myself, but that were somehow relevant to the audience so that people would come to the film. I also wanted films that would kind of create a discussion. And then uh, I wanted to have films that there was something to talk about because I was going to talk after each of the films about what was happening. And then I had to come up with a title along with you, you know, which took a really long time. And then there was the advertising and everything else. So it wasn't a simple thing. So I'm wondering, like, if um, sort of taking uh, one of your series that you've done and kind of uh, thinking about how did you choose which films and what were the elements, both in mm -hmm. terms of, who you imagined the audience was or whether it was more important like was it an educational series was it more focused on fun like the one the excess which is like clearly has like a a campy over the top quality to it that uh is also really mm -hmm. entertaining so how you know how do you start putting something together yeah that's a good question it, it's well first of all you use notions to kind of um, reduce the world down uh, so that decision-making and problem-solving be becomes slighter. So, for example, if you're doing a series about a director, you immediately have the limitation of the films that that director did. So if the director's done 25 films, you can either search for all 25 or you can decide, well, really, I'll show the most seminal ones or whatever. But if you're doing more of a thematic series where what you're in pursuit of is an idea, then at some level you have this kind of open-ended pool of potential films. And so the difficulty becomes, you know, distilling that idea down into the most kind of poignant resonant films um, uh, so even with something say that has some limitations I, I did a, a, a series in uh, the fall of last year uh, with the free speech movement and uh, I decided to do films that kind of captured all of the 60s because the free speech movement didn't really simply begin in 64 and end in 64 and um, you know so then you begin looking for uh the large body of what exists and then within that body of work what is actually accessible which is often a a much smaller pool of works because uh there might be rights issues or no um uh copies that are worthy of projection you know because they're damaged or whatever um and then, you know, when you, in a sense, l get it down to what's accessible, then you try to give it some kind of shape, you know, uh, so that the works talk across each other. And, um, you know, in the free speech movement, I showed documentaries made during that time, documentaries looking back in retrospect, a couple feature films from the period. So it really looked at the fictive 
aspects of um, activism in the 60s and it looked at you know very personal documentary views you know and you know hope hopefully in front of the audience they then get a sense of all the artifacts about that moment that are you know recorded Often there's films that are really great because they're kind of cutting pulse on the edge at that moment. But when you watch them later, that they just don't hold together. So when would you make a decision, for example, to show one of those films that maybe doesn't really work anymore, but is it an amazing artifact of the specific time? Well, I've gone so far as to do several series, you know, repeat series with variations called Born to be Bad, uh, (laughs) looking at films that fail in a certain way because sometimes that in itself is interesting either it's because you're looking at the work of a a really excellent director who in this case has you know misjudged the material or something and so it's a failure or it was a a film that was so um attached to a politic of its moment that it becomes dated, you know, a week later, uh, or that it attaches itself to some cultural aspect, say, like the disco world or something, so that when you show it 10 years later, it just kind of, you know, uh, oozes with uh, all these kinds of campy aspects. So sometimes, you know, showing films that fail really is is an interesting way of looking at um, cinema culture. <laughs> well, now, you know, sometimes people you know, who I run into who listen to the show ask me, you know, what my favorite films are, what films I should see this year, but they have to somehow buy into how do I think about, you know, how does Raina Cowan think about films and uh, am I going to see the films that she recommends or am I going to just see the opposite films or, you know, whatever, how we do that. So as a curator, do you feel like that you also are a personality that, uh, you know, that people have to buy into your sense of humor and your aesthetic in terms of those films? Like, because uh, there is a mischievous quality about how you would sometimes do series. Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely have an idiosyncratic taste. Um, and in part is because there are certain really... Um, uh, canonic ideas about Hollywood cinema that I don't buy into. You know, I'm not too interested in celebrity and, you know, the biographical aspects of um, who's behind this film. Um, I'm I'm more interested in kind of what the audience actually gains from it, not, not the kind of garnish around it. And um, th- that has kind of allowed me to look at all kinds of you know, genres that are even like debased genres, exploitation genres. But at the same time, knowing that I have idiosyncratic taste, I also kind of respect the audience. And I don't think that they're going to go someplace simply because I'm leading them there. You know, that they, there's a little tug of war. And I, I kind of appreciate that. So I temper very consciously what I'm pursuing, you know, uh, on the screen for something that's palatable to the audience. We're speaking with Steve Side, who um, has been the video curator at Pacific Film Archive, one of a few, and we're here today talking about um, both his work over time, but also, I mean, this is just an aside, that, you know, often 
people say, well, why why don't we talk about Hollywood films on KPFA so much? And if you look at just the budget of Hollywood films and the budget for their advertising and how much of a big business it is, it's more than the advertising of all of KPFA or the whole running of KPFA. So I'm much more interested in films that are smaller or who have independent budgets or are foreign films because uh, those are films that don't have the same kind of... Um, uh, pressure to basically be a money-making machine. They're much more about creative art. And if you're somebody who's interested in creative art and interested in what creative art can do, then it's really useful for you to take a stand now and subscribe to KPFA. Uh, you, I'm sure that you know the numbers and the information, but, you know, kpfa.org, go there right now and support us and support the work that we're doing to present alternative voices. So, Going back to our conversation, Steve, you're saying that what you're interested in doing is figuring out how to create a series that people are going to be interested in. And at the same time, um, I think you're challenging them in a certain way to try to expand what they're looking at and how they're looking at things. Uh, have you like if you look back at some of your series, like, do you ever have that um, like think, uh oh, this is what I did <laughs> or, or a different aesthetic that you have now that is different from what you had then or that you were trying to prove a point in a certain way with a series back then that you think maybe you would do it in a different way? Not necessarily that I'd retract the past. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. But, uh, you know, I, I definitely do some series that have kind of little hidden strategic um, meanings. You know, for instance, one one year, uh, this must have been 10, 12 years ago, I did a multi-part series about PowerPoint. Um, and the first couple of programs were simply PowerPoint presentations that were canned, you know, that people would send in. So, uh, most of them were made by artists, you know, who were just trying to figure out what you can do with this kind of... Um, uh, you know, corporate kind of um, communication medium. But then uh, the final night was live performance in which artists came and they did a performance that was enhanced by PowerPoint and I had judges. And it was kind of shaped like American Idol. But, and I th- I think it was just a great a great event, but really what my hidden agenda was, it was I was trying to evaluate really what is, what constitutes cinema, you know, what constitutes a moving image, and if you take something like PowerPoint, which has moving graphics and sometimes outright moving images and text that, you know, is animated, is that cinema? Or could it be cinema if it wants to aspire to something greater than, you know, just uh, um something coming off of your PC in the middle of a meeting. You know, so uh, some of the series I do are, you know, trying to operate at different levels, whether entertaining and they may make you look at things differently and also, you know, kind of question some of the assumptions we have about what this thing is called cinema. Well, what would you, do you have a definition of what cinema is? I mean, do you think it's... uh do you think it's more that it's supposed to be a question, or do you think that there is something that actually embodies it at this point? Well, I think that it, 
You know, along the way, there have been arguments about what constitutes cinema. For the longest time, cinema was kind of film-based. And then in the 70s, when a lot of artists started using video, there was a discussion about, is this... These are moving images. They're done by artists. You know, they're they're fictional. Sometimes they're even narrative. Does that constitute cinema? Is that a moving image that you can push up into that more steamed place? And, you know, the same thing has happened with digital media uh, along the way. You know, so I think we have to keep expanding this notion of what really is cinema. YouTube ultimately is cinema of a sort. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's what I'm always trying to do so that even though where I was for many years was the Pacific Film Archive, that we kind of brought under our umbrella a much, much broader array of image experiences than simply film. Yeah, it's interesting because I think that um, here at the radio station, we're always having to think about how to make ourselves more relevant. You know, uh, we don't do PowerPoint. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but at the same time, we are very interested in uh, kind of being on the pulse of what's happening, trying to capture it and trying to get people to respond back immediately. So much of film is a, a longer... Um, project mm-hmm. where um, somebody is working on something over a long time so that it's harder to have the same kind of immediacy that you have in radio. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's also um, a way of, you know, if you don't evolve enough, you know, you become kind of moribund. And that's the last thing you want, especially as a curator. You really want to be, you know, kind of energized and curious all the time. And, uh The history is so rich and so kind of beyond uh, knowability for a single person that, you know, you can thrash around in it forever. That makes so much sense. Uh, So we are listening to Cover to Cover, Open Book, Frame to Frame. My name is Raina Cowan, and this is a pledge drive day here for the Winter Fund Drive for KPFA. You can call now at 800-439-5732 and let... Uh, Let people at KPFA know that you care about film, you care about understanding the dynamics that happen uh, in many different forms of media, how how stories get reflected. One of the films that uh, is going to be opening soon in the next two weeks here in the Bay Area is Timbuktu, which is an amazing uh, feature film by Sasako, who was raised in Mauritania and then... uh, made this film in Mali, and it talks about life under a jihad rule and Sharia law. But unlike it being a very didactic film, it's beautiful, it's elegant, it's uh, slow-moving, it really captures something very important and essential. And that's not going to be talked about anywhere else. So if you are interested in hearing about films like this and being part of a larger community, call now 800-439-5732 of, or go to kpfa.org and pledge online. It's very useful. We're talking with Steve Side from the Pacific Film Archive. And uh, you just retired, but you know, uh, PFA is actually in the process of um, getting ready to begin this whole process of moving to downtown Berkeley from being on campus. And uh, uh, I'm wondering what that whole shift 
impacted in terms of thinking about curatorial decisions? Did you you guys think about either things that you really wanted to cover while you were in the old space or what you imagined you wanted to do to open um, open the new space when you reopen in uh, late summer in the in downtown Berkeley? I mean, like, I guess I'm asking about site-specific art. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, it does uh, present an opportunity to kind of reinvent yourself. I mean, that's one of the beauties of, of the, a new building and of a move is that you can leave your old identity behind if you wish. You know, I think in the case of the film archive that shedding the old uh, identity isn't necessary, but I think they could acquire, you know, some some new notions, new outlooks about where moving images are going, especially since um, younger audiences have not been bred in the same way on the notion of a feature-length film, and, you know, it's on a... Uh, in a darkened room with many other people, you know, the, the newer audiences are chasing after a multiplicity of screens, you know, screens that they can hold in their hands, screens that they carry with them. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that uh, there are opportunities, you know, at the new place to also explore you know, that sort of uh, image production, you know, that's going to appear architecturally and appear in different places rather than a fixed theater setting. The new building, I think, is going to have a large, um, like, LED screen on the outside of the building as well. So in some uh, occasions, there'll be a chance to to show work outside the building in the way that we used to do outdoor screenings, you know, in the sculpture garden. This will literally be using, like, the skin of the new building to present films or uh, experimental shorts or whatever. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. We're talking to Steve Side um, about his work as a curator over the years. Is there, um, when you look back, are there some series that, just really strike you as that they were um, elegant, sophisticated, and fun for the time, and that uh, you're really proud of what you created? Elegant and sophisticated uh, were two things I know I often avoid. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Okay, so we go for trashy and <laughs> contemplative. They don't go together either. We'll come up with something. No, I mean, there are series, you know, one that, that um, uh, again, it had this kind of secondary um, uh, notion driving it, which was a series I called Exploitoscope. And it was about gimmicks in cinema. And in throughout cinema's history, there were often um, filmmakers who would want to add some dimension. I mean, D- John Waters did polyester with scratch and sniff. William Castle, back in the late 50s and 60s, used to do um, films where there'd be props in the theaters. Uh, he did 3D movies. Uh, uh, you know, there's just uh, a kind of continuing subtle history of the idea of the gimmick. And part of that is because cinema really has its roots in vaudeville and that, you know, the the earliest theaters where they used to show film, it was usually um, sharing the stage with like, you know, the singers and tap dancers come out and then the juggler comes out and then the comedian comes out and then you show a movie. You know, there was no dedicated theater for film in the very beginning. And eventually, you know, that happened 
within a decade or so, but it, the earliest the earliest roots of cinema come right out of that world of the showman. And so I wanted to remind people about that. And so what I did was uh, selected about a dozen films, and then we restaged all of the gimmicks. Um, so we, you know, we showed, uh, this curious late 50s 3D film, you know, where you put, uh, at, at a given moment, you put on a, uh, 3D goggle, because the whole film isn't in 3D, just sequences, and there was a William Castle film that was supposed to be so frightening that they built in the theater a coward's corner, <laughs> so if you were not up to the horrific nature of the film, you could go off into the coward's corner, uh, you know, just many gimmicks like that, and just... To remind people that, yes, there's high, high cinema, you know, there's beautiful fine art cinema, but there's also this very kind of populist, uh, uh, more uh, visceral kind of cinema as well. So when you did that series, do you think it changed the audience when they're watching the film? Or do you think that we're too jaded now over time? It changed them irreparably. (laughs) No, in fact, I showed Dementia 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a really early uh, Coppola film. And Dementia 13 begins in its original version with a psychologist who comes out and he asks a bunch of questions and you have a form in your lap and you they're all like psychological questions. You know, can you do this? Are you up to that? And if you uh, don't succeed in your score, you're asked to leave the theater. So you have to be psychologically mature enough for the film so (laughs) and then did you have psychologists after the film to help people process (laughs) the experience the suicide prevention exactly (laughs) exactly exactly true so uh but but there's a sense that does it feel like uh that audiences, I mean, I guess things are always changing. If we're used to smaller screens, if we're used to watching things at home on our um, TV monitors or on our computers, uh, if we see a certain number of films in the theater, like over time, do does are audiences getting more sophisticated or actually are they getting sort of further away from sort of what the goal of cinema is? I think there's a core that's getting more sophisticated. You know, because you can have such amazing access like online and through things like Netflix, I've met, you know, young, like college-age people who already have this kind of vast encyclopedic knowledge of cinema because they've been able to find the films they want to see. You know, if you go back, say, 25, 30 years um when VHS was kind of a rare thing, you know, you got to see a film when it was presented and then it was lost to you because there was no access. And so your ability to kind of grasp the history was a really difficult task. But now it's just served up so, you know, uh, so pleasurably through all these different um, distribution routes. We're speaking with Steve Side. This is uh, Cover to Cover, Open Book, Frame to Frame. My name is Raina Cowan. We just have a couple of minutes left, and I want to remind you that this is a good time to subscribe to KPFA. Our number is 800-439-5732. Uh, you can go online. There are book packages. There are DVD packages. Uh, there's the Pass It Along package where you wind up getting... a 
a T-shirt. Uh, you also get a water bottle and a tote bag with our new logo. There's a lot of really wonderful things for you to do. So if you can come now to your phones the old-fashioned way and subscribe or go to your computers the new way and subscribe 800-439-5732. Let KPFA know that you value cultural programming. And, you know, it's interesting. Only one in eight people who listen to KPFA actually subscribe. The idea is how do you put your politics where your wallet is? How do you put take your mind and put it where your wallet is and and make a commitment to a station who tries to make a commitment to you in many different ways? So once again, the number 1-800-439-5732 or kpfa.org. Please go to your phones now and pledge now. It's a it's an advantage not just to you, but to the community and to people throughout Northern California who can listen to you or throughout the world who listen online. So go to the phones right now and support KPFA. Once again, 1-800-439-5732 or kpfa.org. So, Steve, I want to thank you so much for joining us today talking about film. And I hope that even though you're not going to be the curator at PFA, that we still get to see you here. Um, that you're going to be doing rascally programming and come up with new ideas that we'll get to hear about and think about together. Thanks so much. Thank you. I'm Raina Cowan. I'll be back next month for another edition of Frame to Frame. Thanks for listening. Hey, you, KPFA donor, listen up. Did you know only one in eight of our listeners actually make a contribution to your radio station? Maybe you can help us improve those odds. Our winter fund drive is called Pass It On. Please pass on our request to your friends and family that listen to KPFA to donate this time around. And do us a favor and link our donation page at kpfa.org to your Facebook or Twitter account. Help us grow and eliminate a future fund drive. So please, pass it on. And you're listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, online at kpfa.org.